Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Crush Lemons. As always, I'm Ryan, and I'll be your host each episode. As the old saying goes, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. Crush and Lemons is dedicated to sharing the inspirational stories of our guests each week who've persevered through life's challenges. In today's episode, our special guest is Kirsty, and she's going to tell us about a head injury that resulted from a fall and ultimately put her in the hospital with some memory loss. And she's going to share what it was like waking up in an environment that she wasn't familiar with and not knowing why she was there. And then ultimately on her road to recovery, discovering a new skill and passion and how that has grown into something even more than she expected. And now as we dive into the episode, it's time to sit back, relax, grab some lemonade, and join me as I sit down with Kirsty, and she shares her story of how she was able to take her lemon moment and make her very own lemonade. So on today's episode, we have Kirsty with us, um, and I will go ahead and let her introduce herself to you guys. So hey, everyone. My name is Kirsty Wall. I'm based in Houghton, Michigan. Um, I'm an honors graduate of Michigan Technological University aka Michigan Tech. And I have a Bachelor's of Arts in Scientific and Technical Communication with a concentration in Business Communication. While I was earning my degree, I also earned a certificate in media. Right now, I currently work as a technical publication specialist at a company called Somero Enterprises. So basically, in short, my educational and professional background is in technical writing, technical communication, and graphic design. And I'm also a photographer. My work has been featured at the Curage Gallery in Hancock, Michigan, the Ann Arbor Art Center, as well as the Marin Society of Artists in San Rafael, California. That's awesome. And so we actually we actually met when I went to Michigan Tech as well. So that's kind of our fun, common thread between us. Well, let's dive right in and kind of talk about your lemon moment. Um, do you want to kind of start with some of the background and set the stage for our, our audience so that they can kind of get a picture of where you were, what was going on and kind of what your lemon moment is? Yeah. So let's just dive right in. So I was taking a self-defense course and that day we were practicing kicks. We didn't have shoes on and I don't know. I remember practicing kicks. And then next thing I know, I'm just fading in and out of consciousness. And I just see like white all around me. It was kind of like grayish white. Everything was blurry. And I have no idea what's going on. Like I'm panicking. The only thought that I have in my brain is like, am I dying? You know, and I remember seeing this like shadowy figure. And I remember asking the shadowy figure if I was dying. And the shadowy figure said I wasn't. So Then it was like, okay. And then I passed out again. And then I finally came into full consciousness. But when I became fully awake, it was right in the middle of being violently sick. Right. So I'm, I wake up, I'm in the middle of being violently sick. And I look around, I notice I'm in a hospital room. And then I'm wondering, like, why am I violently sick? Why am I in a hospital room? And I also noticed I had a huge bruise, like on my arm. And I have no idea why my arm was all bruised either. So I'm trying to figure out like what happened, like why am I here? And so my father was in the room and he told me that I fell. And it ended up being that I had something called a coup contra coup concussion, which is basically a fancy way of saying a double concussion. That is a mouthful. (laughs) It is a mouthful. I've been saying it a lot though. So it kind of comes out easy for me now. But yeah, so I had a front to back um, concussion. And I also fractured my skull and you might want to cut this part out because I don't know 
it might be gross, but the reason why I had a huge bruise on my arm is because I pulled my IV out. Because apparently when you get a head injury, you go straight up feral. <laughs> like, like, I don't remember any of this. So like, I'm in the hospital and I'm trying to piece back my life together, figure out why I'm there and what happened. So apparently like I fell and this is another lemon moment, but long story short, I grew up with scoliosis and the scoliosis got worse to the point where I needed a spinal fusion. So my spine is fused from T3 to L5, which is a fancy way of saying like from my neck to my lower back. So when I fell, instead of falling like a normal person where you roll, it was literally like smack. Like my friend described it as falling like a two by four. Wow. So all of the momentum from falling went straight to my head and my neck. So apparently, yeah, I fell. I just started like crying. And then, you know, they evacuated. Paramedics came and I, apparently I just started attacking them. Like I'm throwing punches. I'm kicking them. I'm biting them. They had to sedate me. Wow. Like crazy. So it and sounds then, like your training came into practice in real life and you just didn't realize it. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. I just felt so bad though. I almost, I like, I want to apologize. Like, I'm so sorry. I'm not like that in real life. I promise. (laughs) But yeah, apparently like then when they got me in the hospital too, I started going like feral again. Like the doctor was trying to figure out where my skull was fractured and right as he found it, that's when I was like, like I'm out of here. Peace out. And you have no recollection of I don't th- these remember moments? any of this. I literally wow. just remember waking up in a hospital room being like, where am I? Like, why am I here? What happened? Well, it's just like the movies when you have someone just wake up and they don't know where they are and then they have to piece back their life together. Like that was me for a few months. Oh, wow. Just getting bits and details of what happened. Like I didn't discover the two by four thing until like maybe two months after. I can't it's even just imagine. little details like that. So from from the time the accident happened to regaining some consciousness and realizing you've lost time, do you know how long that was? Uh, 24 hours. It's just creepy, though. Like thinking about it and what happened, like I don't remember. I mean, the human body is amazing with how like let you forget stuff like that, which is comforting to me. But it's just scary to think that that's what actually happened to me. So kind of. Uh, once you were waking up, what would you say was kind of your biggest fear in that moment? Um, especially coming out of a situation where you don't really know what's going on. Well, just that, just fear, just why am I here? What happened? Um, it was basically that and like, yeah, why am I being sick? Luckily my dad was there to tell me right away, but then it was just me wanting to piece back everything together and figure out what exactly happened. Cause all I knew was that I fell. And then I had the double concussion and skull fracture. So once you came to, what was kind of the next step in your journey then? Basically just being very sick. Um, I don't know, like I went straight home and I was recovering, but I completely lost my sense of smell from it. And I just remember being in a lot of pain. And initially I even couldn't hold down food. Like I would just get super sick. And there's that. And I was extremely light sensitive, extremely sound sensitive. Like I read somewhere that some people, when they have head injuries, like their symptoms will mimic people with autism when it comes to sensitivities. But yeah, I couldn't, I could see that. And I can relate because I've seen videos of people with like autism. Like there's this one of this kid who got his degree, but the whole room didn't clap so that he was actually able to, because the noise would have been overstimulating. And I can completely agree with that. 
So yeah, basically I, when I got out of the hospital, I was literally just in bed, just sleeping most of the time, just in excruciating pain. Like I had really bad migraines. I mean, my neck hurt cause I had whiplash from it. But then about after two weeks, I was cleared to go back to school, but I still had the light sensitivity and the sound sensitivity. So basically for the next few months at school, I wore this like huge hat just to block the fluorescent lights. And I had sunglasses on too. Like I probably looked weird. I felt weird, whatever. But, I mean, it's, it's Michigan know. tech. I'm sure you fit in just fine. <laughs> <laughs> right. But no, it was the weirdest thing too. Cause like at the time I was working as a graphic designer for Michigan tech, like that was my internship, but I couldn't go back to work right away because I tried going on a computer screen and doing work. And it was like all the pixels were moving. Like, it's so weird and hard to describe, but it's like all the pixels were moving. And then I, it would, I don't know if it was like overstimulating me. I can't remember, but I just remember seeing all these pixels moving and becoming extremely nauseated and having this worse migraine. And I just had, I just had to get away from it. And then I initially had to build up being able to look at a computer screen again. And of course I'm stupid. I tried playing GTA like afterwards too. And <laughs> that's so much worse. Oh my gosh. Like moving graphics and the 3d aspect and everything's going so fast. Cause you don't drive like a grandma GTA. <laughs> so yeah, I had to build that up too. I, I can't imagine yeah. going from working on graphic design work and being like, you know what? I have a migraine. I'm going to take a break to let's go play this video game with high intensity speed and see how I react. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it wasn't an exact like, OK, five minutes later, like, peace out. I'm going to play GTA. Like, I think it was maybe like that weekend or something. It was kind of like a trial and error of seeing like what works for me, what doesn't. And just trying to figure it out because everything was just so foreign to me what I was going through. So were there any, I, I mean, I'm not super familiar with head injuries. Was there anything that you kind of forgot how to do or had to relearn from the head injury? Not that I can think of, although I had really bad short-term memory loss. Like this is actually terrible, but funny. So I got on my fiance's phone plan because he has AT&T and that just worked better in terms of service. So I joined it and apparently I got like the latest and greatest phone because I'm extra like that, but I don't remember getting the latest and greatest phone. So like the phone bill would come in and it'd be higher than I remember. And I'd be like, well, I'm going to go to AT&T and I'm going to go all like real housewives on them because I want to know what's up. Why is this bill so high? And we essentially had the same argument every weekend because, or like every time the phone bill would come in because I would forget or even like other minor like stuff too, that we would have, like, I would just forget. And it got to the point where it'd be like, okay, we had this discussion already. And I'd be like, okay, well then what was the outcome? Or I ended up like taking notes too, so that I could like refer back to my notes. Hmm. I mean, I guess that is it a was, good way to remember things if you have it written down. Right. It was kind of like 50 first dates, but for, you know, life. See, you think of like an adult movie. And the first thing that I thought of was Dory from Finding Nemo. <laughs> oh, yeah. We actually saw that, too. And I could definitely see some parallels and stuff and identify with Dory. Uh, that's awesome. I, yeah, I mean, it, it, it just... it, it's not awesome that you went through this, but oh, it, no. lo lo looking back, kind of. You can draw the correlation and have a little bit of fun uh, with those different parallels. Right. So for you, what would you say was kind of the your lowest point going through this experience? Uh, so the lowest point, why? 
I can't really think of a particular day or month or whatever. I think going through the whole incident was terrible. I think, well, I think part of it was hard for me was that I was putting in a lot of work and I wasn't getting better. Cause like all the things that I've been through in my life, you put in the hard work, you get results, whatever. Like even with my scoliosis and the spine surgery, like I did the PE and I was fine, you know? And so like I did physical therapy for an example, like I did all these treatments and I eventually ended up going to Marquette, like every week, every other week for physical therapy. And for those of you who don't know, Marquette is a hundred miles away from Houghton. So this is like a two hour trip one way because that was like, that's the expertise that I found for my situation. What makes it hard is that, you know, my spine is fused. So when I was doing my initial physical therapy, I wasn't responding to like the typical treatments which was hard. I mean, I guess that's another lemon moment in itself. But then on the plus side, the lemonade of that is that if I wouldn't have gone to my first physical therapy, like the sessions I did initially, I wouldn't have found out that I had a TMJ disorder as a result as well. So I did discover that through there. So again, for those of us who aren't as familiar with the acronyms, what does that acronym stand for? Oh boy. <laughs> it's <laughs> a TMJ, um, it's the jaw. It's your joint when you like open and close your jaw. Okay. I have to like Google this. CMJ. I'm going to butcher this. It's the <laughs> temporal mandibular joint. Oh, okay. Here, you see this like lady clenching her jaw in pain? <laughs> <laughs> this like wiki drawing, whatever. That is a great yeah, infographic. It's basically, yeah, when you open and close your jaw, it's like the joint right there. TMJ just sucks because it's very complicated with like what could have caused it. I mean, I have theories. Um, my theory as to like why I have TMJ is that like when I fell, you know, I have the whiplash and I have some cer- like vertebrae that are out of alignment in my neck, some cervical, cervical vertebrae. So like C1 is out of alignment, C4, C5, even to this day, like I go see a chiropractor and get it like worked on, but those were my main issues. And Apparently when like your neck is off as a last minute resort, your jaw will clench to kind of keep your head upright. Oh yeah. That's a theory. I I guess that makes sense. Right. That's a theory I heard, but then I did another round of physical therapy to try to like fix it, but I still have like the TMJ disorder. So maybe it's neurological since the mechanical work didn't solve it. I don't know. I'm not sure. So no, I think it was really dark for me because I was trying to, figure out what was going on. I wasn't like finding answers. I was doing all this work and I wasn't getting cured. I like, I was still getting the migraines, just bad headaches. Um, I get something called phantosmia. It's not as bad as it used to be, but basically phantosmia is phantom smells. So initially it was really bad. Like I would just be sitting like in class at school. Right. And it would smell to me like the building was on fire. And of course, like I would freak out. It's like, okay, we got to evacuate. Let's go. But then I'd look around and everyone's calm, like cool, collected around me. And it's like, okay, but then it would change too. So initially was like the building was on fire and then it would smell like, I don't know, someone smoking a cigarette near me. And then it would smell like someone lit a plastic bag and held it underneath my nose. But then when I started like recovering and getting like better. Um, it would kind of smell sweet, like a burning graham cracker. So those were kind of nicer. <laughs> so to this day, have you regained your sense of smell or is it still touch and go? Partially. I partially regained it. Um, it's not the same as how it used to be. Like for an example, cigarettes and coffee smell the exact same to me now. 
and there's like all these perfumes that I had because I really liked perfume like before. It was just like a weird hobby of mine, but now all the perfumes like smell the exact same. There was this one treatment I was doing with like essential oils where you have like a flower type or like, you know, a lemon type, something that's spicy, like basically different types and you smell it as like a therapy and it kind of triggers those like nerves or whatnot. And I'm now able to pick up things that I couldn't like right after the accident, which is really exciting. It's weird because like, I remember when I first got my sense of smell back, like I was in class and this girl was putting on Bath and Body Works lotion and I was sitting in class and I think, oh, that smells nice. And I'm like, wait, I can smell that. Like I can pick it up. And I almost started crying in class because I'm just a little baby like that. It's like, <laughs> Kirsty, but I was just so excited, you and know, that's a big stepping stone. So it's something to be excited about. When I was told to, um, someone told me, I don't remember who they said, if I didn't get my smell back, my sense of smell back in eight months that I wouldn't get it back ever. And I think when I was first able to start smelling, maybe I started picking up stuff maybe 10 months after a year after. So, so slowly, slowly, but steady in, in the long term. Yeah. So when you went through all of this, was there any specific person in your life that was kind of your rock and was able to help you get through all of these different obstacles? I just think everyone in my life was a rock and very supportive. Like there wasn't anyone that was unsupportive. You know, everyone was like very understanding, you know, like my family, my friends, my professors, they all worked it with me so that I could graduate on time because I wasn't even sure if I was going to graduate on time. But yeah, like everyone worked with me. I had, so I had my internship at career services and then I also had another internship. So after that one ended, I had one in Iron Mountain and it was weird. So I was starting the initial process of like onboarding with that internship and then the accident happened and I just ghosted them. Of course, not deliberately because I was in the hospital, but they didn't hear from me. And then finally I sent this really long message being like, Hey, this is what happened. I'm so sorry. And I actually, for some reason, I thought that they weren't going to hire me, but then, um, someone like told me, they're like, well, that would be, you know, against like the ADA American disabilities Mm -hmm. act. Like they have to hire you. I didn't know this, but I can blame it on having a head injury. I don't know, but I didn't know that. (laughs) And they're like, okay, well, we still want you to start, but they were super supportive too. Their main concern was that my personality might've changed because like they knew someone who had a head injury and they were like completely 180 different. I'd say I'm pretty close to the same as I was before. (laughs) <laughs> well, that's yeah, good. no, everyone. Right. But no, everyone's just been super supportive and understanding. That's awesome. So I'm you, just very thankful for that. Yeah, that you had people there to support you through a time like this, um, especially I mean, having a head injury isn't a super common occurrence. So having the people in your life there to help support you probably was their first time going through it with somebody that they cared about. Um so it, it's always nice to hear when there's a support system there when you're going through difficult times. Right. I think the hardest part for me was that, you know, I had like the head injury and I, you know, have pain that I struggle with as a result. But a lot of that stuff isn't easy to see, like on the surface. So I remember one time, like I have like pain flare ups where like a nerve gets really like it hurts in my face and it gets all warm and like it kind of swells up and it hurts real bad. But of course you can't really see this, especially if I'm wearing makeup on. And I was talking to someone one day while I was having a pain flare up and they were like, I'm glad this isn't affecting you anymore. Like I'm glad it's over. And it was while I was in pain. It was kind of hard to hear that 
because like, I don't know if this is something that I'll ever be a hundred percent over or not, but I don't know. That was kind of hard for people not being able to see it or like know what I'm going through. It almost felt lonely at times. Yeah. I mean, especially up in Houghton, it's not like it's a, a super populous area where there's groups that you can reach out to and interact with other people who, who have had similar uh, injuries or situations. So I, I can definitely see where there would be times where it would feel very lonely. Right. And then it's hard too, because head injuries aren't like one size fits all. Like for an example, I actually met someone who had a head injury, like a concussion in a similar event, like this person fell. So it was like, okay, well, and he said he was pretty much recovered. And I was like, well, how long did it take for you to recover? And he said, oh, four months. And when I met this person, it was like three years after my event. Oh, wow. So I was like, <laughs> oh, must be nice. <laughs> but see, now you, you get to share your story to hopefully inspire other people who've maybe had a similar injury and know that it isn't one size fits all and everybody kind of has to go through it at their own pace. Right. Exactly. So flipping it around, we've talked about your lemon moment. You've kind of given the background of what it was like going through that. What would you say is your lemonade out of this whole experience? Oh, for sure. So it's actually, it's another story. I have like a ton of stories. Are we good on time? Oh yeah. We have plenty of time. So I guess even just to draw the picture more, like I, I'm going to be honest, like I was miserable, you know, I mean, you, I've watched a lot of like motivational videos where someone has something hard happen to them. And then it's like, it, it was hard. It was terrible, but I have a great attitude and I got through it. And I almost felt like there was something wrong with me. Cause I'm not going to sit here and say that that's what it was like. Cause it wasn't, I was miserable. I almost felt like there was something wrong with me for being miserable. Like I didn't want to be stuck in my misery, but I just was like, I struggled with depression after the incident. I struggled with anxiety, which apparently doing research, people with neck injuries tend to struggle with anxiety and panic attacks afterwards. I'm not sure the correlation why I'm going to, I want to do more research to know exactly like mechanically what's going on. Cause I just, I'm weird. And I find that fascinating, but I don't know, like I was just miserable and I had a lot of anxiety too. Cause I think my body, like this was just a freak accident and it happened out of nowhere. And my body was like, okay, I'm afraid to do anything now because I don't want anything traumatic to happen. And it was just miserable and stuff. But then, so I got a message out of nowhere from Stefka. And so Stefka is a professor at Michigan tech. She taught the photography class when I took it. And like ever since she's been like my friend and my mentor, like basically she's my Oprah, right? <laughs> so, so she messages me and she was getting a group of people together to photograph Copper Dog. And of course, like you volunteer at Copper Dog. Me? Right? No, so, I would never volunteer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'm trying to think, how do we describe Copper Dog to the audience? Like it's a, I'll let you do it since you're more experienced. So... I'm sure people have probably seen movies of like dog sled races. And when you think of dog sledding, you probably think of like Siberian Huskies, these big fluffy dogs pulling sleds. In reality, that that's not what dog sled races are. Um, so up in the Keweenaw, which is where Houghton's located, we have this awesome race every year that's called the Copper Dog 150. And teams from all over the country come in and it's all a volunteer based organization so for like a three-day weekend, over 500 volunteers um, come together, and we put on this event of a sled race. 
And I have a passion for photography. So the way that I like to volunteer at it is to donate my time and photograph the teams while they are out on the route, while they're starting, finishing all of that, um, and then deliver those photos back to the organization to share um, with the different teams. So that was a lot better than how, excuse me, how I was going to describe it. I was going to be like, yeah, it's a, you know, a dog said race happens in the UP. We race dogs at the end. <laughs> well, and for the record, sled dogs are very tiny compared to like Alaskan Malamutes. They are very slender and agile dogs. And I have never seen a happier dog than a dog on the trail pulling the sled, just running full speed. I don't know what it is, but they just love it more than anything. Well, I have to second that too. Cause like, so that's when I kind of met you officially. Cause I've seen you at career services, but I never actually met you. So I met you. Remember when I met you, I told you like, I typically don't like events that use pets as like, or animals as entertainment, mm -hmm. but going to copper dog and seeing those dogs, it was like, they want to run. Like they, you could see people just like with all their strength, trying to like hold these dogs mm -hmm. back, you know, before they start and they just want to go, Yeah, you know, it's definitely just exciting to be there and just to feel the energy and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you're kind of part of my pivotal moment. <laughs> well, I didn't even realize that was going to be incorporated. So, right. It just happened. So, yeah. So Stefka had the group come together and take photos and she brought out film cameras. So, I mean, I've experienced with film like disposable, like using disposable mm -hmm. film cameras. But otherwise, I never really had experience like shooting film. I mean, back in the day, I used to model and some of the photographers I worked with shot in film. And we actually did a gallery where they shot completely in film. It was a little cinema by like Pedro Trevino and Samantha Von Bush. And it was great having that experience like in front of the camera because it actually like heightened my perception of just doing photography in general. But yeah, seeing them do film and like, you know, do all the prints and developing just the film and all the manual work and chemicals and all that stuff that's behind it. I just figured I'm never going to do film photography. <laughs> like it looks interesting. It's fun, but there's no way I'm going to be able to do it. So when Stefka brought out the film cameras, it was like, <gasps> Oh, I've seen this before. I know how this ends up. I don't know. But yeah, so she got, she convinced me to start shooting in film. Cause that's just Stefka's aura. Like she could pretty much convince you to do anything. Cause she's so excited about something that like you become excited about it and want to do it. So yeah, we started shooting with film. She was teaching me how to develop film and all of a sudden it turned into, there's going to be a gallery or we're going to have an exhibition. And it was like, okay. And then, so that turned into, well, I'm going to back up to like Steph. Cause she's someone who like, when I work with her, we just bounce ideas off each other and we brainstorm and we kind of build off each other. And it's just amazing working with her. Cause you never know what you're going to come up with, but it's always like an idea that's 10 times better than what you originally have. So it was initially like going to be film, but then it turned into doing like film and digital. So this gallery was going to be a comparison between film and digital photography. And then all of a sudden, like in the studio, I just blurred out, like, I want to photograph scars. And it was something I was going to do prior. I think it was a project I thought about doing when I took Stefka's photography class, but I never actually did it. And I don't know, I find scars interesting and I think it related to what I was going through because, you know, no, I'm trying to think how to describe this. So like scars, there's always a story behind a scar, you know, and it always, there's no two scars that are the same. And it was kind of the thing too, is like, 
what I went through is very complicated, especially with how like I wasn't responding to treatments typically. And it just seemed very complex. But then I thought if I'm going through this, like what's the person next to me? Like, what about them? What's their story? Cause it can't just be me. Like, it's not like I'm unique in any sense of having a complicated, you know, story. Other people do too. And that's where I kind of became curious and wanted to shoot there. But then the gallery ended up being a way for me to like release some of those like pent up emotions or whatnot that I had after the incident. So I ended up working a ton of different analogies into the exhibition that I didn't think of when I initially started. So like, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know. The, fir- the first thing that I thought of when you said scars, thinking back to the the moment before where you were saying somebody had made a comment to you, oh, it's nice that you're, you've gotten through this and gotten over it. And people couldn't physically see the pain that you were in, um, or know kind of how far along you went, but a scar is kind of that physical representation of an experience. So do you think there was any kind of relationship between for you, you didn't really have a visible scar to this, um, experience. And then this was kind of your way of showcasing other people's experiences, totally random off the top of my head. Oh no, it's definitely related. I'd say definitely. I mean, there's where I was thinking, well, how can I photograph my neck? Cause I was trying to think of do some kind of spin where you see a photograph of my neck and there's not a scar and people are trying to search for the scar and say, well, what's that? And that would be like my, you know, flipped moment to really like change the perspective and flip it upside down. But I couldn't really actually think of a way to make it work because since I was doing the gallery, like I wanted to make sure that I was taking all the photos and I couldn't really think of a way to necessarily do that. But then of course my scoliosis scar gets in the way of it as well. So I ended up, I did end up using my scoliosis scar as like one of the stories, but then in my artist statement, I did kind of mention that I had a double concussion and a skull fracture to kind of get people's brains thinking. I mean, I initially went to, I did the black and white because I wanted to like bring people's eyes directly to the scars. Like I didn't want to photograph in color because I'm trying to think who is the guy who said that I have the quote up here. There's a guy named Ted. Oh my gosh. I like, I just did this introduction to be like, I'm going to tell you about my gallery. And then it's like, just kidding. I forgot everything, but I think his name's Ted Grant. I'm going to Google it really quick. Okay. Yes, it is Ted Grant. So Ted Grant had a quote. He said, when you photograph people in color, you photograph their clothes. When you photograph people in black and white, you photograph their souls. So I kind of did a play on that where I didn't want anything like color of clothing or whatnot to get to distract the like audience member past the scar, make them feel a certain way. Like this even goes back from like my marketing studies too, where for an example, maybe like if my model was wearing an orange t-shirt, like orange, I think it evokes like excitement or like feelings like that. And I wouldn't want someone to subliminally get those feelings. So that's why I chose to shoot in black and white. And then, so I had my film shots and I had my digital shots and I wanted them kind of, I had the digital on top and the film on bottom, like stacked together so that people could see the difference between the film and the digital photography. But then it was interesting once I saw it created because seeing everything placed vertically it reminded me in a way of like bars on a jail cell. And for me, that was a big analogy for what it feels like to be a prisoner in your own body, to be a prisoner of your experience, your situation. So that was 
that was interesting for me. So I definitely use that as an analogy. But then one morning, I don't know, I was washing dishes and, you know, washing dishes, it's a very brain numbing task. And I was kind of just like randomly daydreaming. And all of a sudden I just thought of the Houghton Breakers. And so growing up, I grew up next to the Houghton Breakers and being there as a kid and then going as an adult, it's almost like I have two different perceptions of it. And that was kind of an analogy for me for trauma because your life before trauma and your life after trauma, they're like two different perceptions that you have. So I kind of use that as an analogy as well. So I had the digital photo of the Houghton Breakers in front in the beginning. And then I had the film version like, no, I had the film version first. I'm sorry. I had the film version first and then I had the digital version of it last because basically when you do photography and film, like you're working with light. So no matter how big you scale it, large or small, like everything stays the same. And so I had the digital print at the end kind of represent life after trauma because maybe it looks clearer because digital tends to look clearer than film. At least I would argue that. But because you're working with pixels, you lose information compared to the film photography. So I use that as an analogy of, yeah, maybe you see life more clearly, but there's stuff that you had to lose. I think that's a great way to look at it. I've never thought of it like that. And oh, I mean, thank you. I, I've been doing photography for years and I've done film oh. and digital and that that's way deeper than anything I've ever thought of. <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, I did ask one of my photographers why they photographed in film. And that's basically what they said was, you know, they did it because of the light and the fact that you don't lose information. So I can't 100 percent credit myself for that coming up with that analogy by myself. It was kind of just that memory of having that conversation. But then too, so because I was taking that picture of the Houghton Breakers, I did it in landscape. And then my photos of the people and their scars were in portrait. And I think I used that as a way. So I had the landscape photo and then it went to the portrait photos. And that was kind of a way of representing like what it's like to have your life like flipped Mm -hmm. in a different orientation than how it was before. And then it closes with it flipping back. Like after a certain amount of time, you do get your grounding back again. That's cool. And then, so I had the gallery is all set. Like it was all even and perfect and symmetrical. Cause you had like the landscape photo, the portrait photos and then the landscape photo. And so I was leaving the Houghton breakers and you know, you leave, there's a road you have to turn on. And of course you look both ways when you're turning to drive. And I looked to my left and I see this like dead end sign. And all of a sudden I thought I need to take a picture of that. So I get out of my car Actually, so when I initially tried to get this photo, there's a car in the way of my shot. And I like angry texted Steph, <laughs> like, oh, my gosh, someone's in the way of my shot. So I ended up having to go back. But I needed this shot for my gallery because basically you see this dead end sign, but then you see the road continue on. And then that's when you see like the Houghton Breakers in the background as well. And that was such an analogy for me because I feel like I've hit so many dead ends just trying to find answers. And, you know, I haven't found all the answers yet, but then there's like a little voice inside of me. That's just like, you haven't tried this yet. You haven't tried that yet. And even though you may see a dead end, it's like the road still continues on. I was like, I need this. And then it did throw off the orientation that I initially planned for my gallery, but I liked that because life isn't orderly. It's not neat. It's not in this pretty little bow package. Like it's definitely beyond plan 
and sometimes it could be messy and unorganized. And I definitely thought that represented it. I completely agree. Uh, It's easy to have a plan in life, but it's a little bit more difficult to realize that your plan may not always happen the way you think it will and accept those obstacles, those dead ends, um, and learn from those experiences as you go forward. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, yeah. So that was basically just a year in the making of things. Like it wasn't stuff that I thought of all at once. It just kind of like happened as I went along with the project. Well, speaking about learning from, uh, life's experiences, uh, so If you could go back and give yourself a piece of advice kind of right after you woke up in the hospital, what piece of advice would you give yourself knowing what you know now of everything you've gone through since then? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, my first thought was keep going, but then that's what I did regardless. I mean, at the same time, like a part of me doesn't want to give myself that much credit because that was the only chance I had was to keep going, you know, and like photography, yeah, it turned into an outlet for me. Like before it was a hobby, a hobby, but now it's an outlet and there's a difference between those two. But I did know that I couldn't just sit and be miserable, like that I needed an outlet, but I wasn't ready for it. Like I tried, like, I don't know I like I tried drawing because I'm an artistic person, but drawing just didn't work for me. I mean, I tried like knitting and all this other stuff, but I just maybe I wasn't ready to let go of like my anger towards it. Maybe I was still in that like healing process because there are like what five different stages of grief and maybe I was still in this one stage and I wasn't ready to move on. So I can't necessarily look back and say like, do this differently or do that or like have any good advice because everything that I did worked out in the way that it happened. But I guess all I can think of is just, you know, keep going and Even if like forward progress, I think for me, especially like, you know, looking at videos online and seeing people's before and afters, like, it seems like people make monumental process just like that, like right away. And that's not always the case. Maybe progress is putting 5% extra versus like 200% extra. Maybe it's putting the laundry away one night, you know, when you don't feel like it, like it can just be little things too. And I I feel like that's a great message because A lot of times people get so caught up in those success stories where they're giving 200 percent and making these monumental leaps. But like you said, for some people, maybe just being able to get up for the day, that's the step they need to take to keep moving Mm -hmm. forward. Um, So I think your piece of advice is perfect for anybody going through any kind of struggle is ultimately kind of keep moving forward and keep pushing, even if it is just little by little. You don't have to do these massive uh, a changes in uh, advancements every day. And were there any other resources that you found particularly helpful going through this, um, especially because it was a new experience for you? I think just the internet and having that capacity to do research and, you know, go on forums and talk with other people, like even if it's strangers and stuff like that, it was definitely helpful. And just the ability to do research, like I've learned so much medically about my situation, partially just because of curiosity. And then another part just like is trying to figure out what's going on with me since I wasn't exactly textbook. Makes sense. There, I mean, the internet's a great thing. There's so much we can learn while we're out there. Oh, for sure. 
So that kind of covers most of my questions. Are there any other notes or topics you want to touch on before we start to wrap stuff up? So another thing I was going to talk about too, is that like when you, when something happens to you and you're living with life after trauma, you kind of have to readjust your expectations of life, you know, to accommodate for it. Like for an example, I don't know, I saw a video on it where they had a glass that was on a present full and maybe when like trauma or anything happens to you, it's kind of like water was taken out of the glass. So you can't look back and expect your life to be at that hundred percent because it won't be. You almost have to recalibrate your life so that maybe that new 80% or that 80% is your new 100%. And then I guess I also wanted to say too, that like, (laughs) yeah, you also have to recognize that, you know, sometimes the lemons never go away. Like when I would watch motivational or inspirational videos online, it seemed like they're saying, oh, I had these lemons in my life, but now I have apple juice and everything's great. (laughs) Awesome. You know, like what I realized is that when you have lemonade, like the lemons are still there, but you just have to find your sugar. Sometimes it's tequila, right? Let's be real. But, you know, it's all about finding that stuff to help make lemons more bearable. I think tequila would be a great addition to most (laughs) lemonades. Right. Well, if people want to follow along in kind of your creative endeavors or check out your photography, is there any social media or website or places they can go to see kind of the work that you've done so far and what you will do in the future? Oh, yeah, for sure. So you can check out my work on my website, KirstyWall.com. And so, yeah, you can check me out on my website. You can also check out my Instagram. Like a lot of the galleries I've done so far have been online just because of the current situation. So Uh I'll post links pertaining to that, or I'll just post information pertaining to galleries I'm featured in, in general. So I'd say check both of those. And what's your Instagram handle? Christy wall. Okay. Just wanted to, just wanted to check and make sure. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. (laughs) And and we'll put a, uh, a link to both your website and your Instagram in the podcast description so that people can get to it even easier and they don't have to try to spell it. All they got to do is copy the link. Dude, you're going to have like 10 people be like, Hey, I can't find it. I'm typing K R I S T Y. (laughs) What am I doing wrong? Uh, That's why we put the links out there to make it as easy as possible for people to follow along with our guests journeys. Well, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to speak with me and share your story. Um, I guess at this point, is there any last minute thing you want to add? Otherwise, we will wrap up this episode. No, not that I can think of. Thanks for having me and letting me just talk about myself. Hey, that's why we're here. We want to share everybody's (laughs) stories. So I'm happy that you were comfortable enough to jump on a video chat with me literally like 2000 miles away and hopefully inspire other people who are maybe going through a similar traumatic injury and know that they can get through it. Um, And it's okay if it doesn't happen right away. They can take their time and make those small uh, progress marks along the way um, until they get back to whatever their new normal is for that individual. Right, for sure. And like, yeah, if anyone's been through a similar situation and they just want to reach out to me, like they're more, you know, they can do it. They can reach out to me and I might not have the answers, but I'll definitely be someone to talk to and someone who can relate. It's awesome that you're willing to do that and, and help others. So again, thank you. Uh, we really appreciate it. And that's pretty much it. If you want to learn more about this podcast, be sure to check out our social media on Facebook and Instagram at Crush and Lemons. 
And if you or someone you know would be interested in being one of our future guests, send us a note to crushitlemons at gmail.com. Lastly, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please share it with someone you know and consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever streaming service you've listened to today. It really helps us grow. If you're dealing with your own lemon moment, just remember you're never alone. There's always other people out there who've gone through similar things. We look forward to sharing more stories with you in the future. In the meantime, keep an ear out for when our next episode drops and work to turn your lemon moments into your very own lemonade. We'll talk to you in the next episode.